0: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. 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 so inshallah we wanted to uh, go ahead and get started inshallah with today's program uh, we ended up delaying a little bit to be able to Um, Accommodate everyone coming in and then getting some food and things like that Uh, But at the same time we do need to uh, Break insha'Allah in just a little bit for Salat al-Asr So we thought that we should go ahead and get started insha'Allah as people continue to come in and get some food They can insha'Allah Join into the program as we continue insha'Allah so for today's program insha'Allah uh, the overall theme, the subject matter, the focus of the program is of course learning to love the Messenger Sallallahu Obviously, uh, it goes without saying, we are in the month of Rabi'ul Awwal, which historically speaking, historically speaking, uh, is the month of the birth of the Prophet Sallallahu It's also the month of the Hijrah, of the Prophet, it's also the month of the passing of the Prophet. So, in summary, academically speaking, historically speaking, the month of Rabi'ul Awwal is a very central month when you study the life of the Prophet وسلم, in depth. Um, and so, in light of that fact, we felt that it was uh, prudent and important to have a program where we would talk about the Prophet with a specific focus when it comes to the verses of the Qur'an, which some of the speakers today, some of the other instructors here today, InshaAllah from Qalam, are going to be talking about, so I don't want to go into too much detail. But when you look at some of the verses of the Qur'an where Allah subhanahu Wa Ta-A'la says الله, That if you truly love Allah, you claim to love God فتبيعوني, Then tell them of oh Muhammad sallallahu alayhi that they should follow me Meaning that they should follow the Prophet sallallahu And if you follow Muhammad sallallahu Then Allah will love you God will love you. لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ That indeed the ultimate role model, the best example for all of humanity has been placed within the Prophet ﷺ. O oh, you who believe, obey God and obey the Messenger of Allah. Whoever has obeyed the messenger has indeed obeyed God Himself. And then the Prophet ﷺ elaborates on this in numerous narrations, and the one that really comes to mind, and the one that is the focus of today's event, is لا أَحَدُكُمْ None of you. Truly believes. None of you has realized your faith. None of you has achieved a completion of belief and faith and devotion and dedication to Allah. Hatta akuna ana ahabbu ilayhi min walidihi wa walidihi wa nasi Until the Prophet ﷺ says, until I, Muhammadur Rasulullah, am more beloved to that person then their own parents, then their own children, and then all the people on the face of the earth. So, that is the focus of today's event. That we know that we need to love the Prophet And that the love of the Prophet cannot be achieved unless we follow the Prophet And we can't really love and follow someone until you know that person. And so, yes, Qalam is an educational institution. So it seems obvious that I'm going to somehow tie everything back to education. But in this case and instance, it really does come down to education. Because if you don't know the Prophet you can't possibly love him. And if you don't love him, you can't follow him. And so that's why we are gathered here and congregated here together to know the Prophet ﷺ at least a little bit better. And inshallah, towards the end of the program, we will talk about where to go from here. That this learning to love the Prophet ﷺ, to be like the Prophet ﷺ, to follow the Prophet ﷺ, learning to do that, it will not be totally achieved, nor will it stop, nor will it end or conclude at one program. It can't. That's just not even a realistic expectation. It has to continue on from here. But how can it continue on from here, insha'Allah? That's something that we'll talk about towards the end of the program, because right now we want everyone to just focus on, insha'Allah, what we'll be discussing here today. So the very first session, which I'm going to be sharing with you here, insha'Allah, before we break in about um, 15 to 20 minutes, insha'Allah, for Salat, uh, Salat al-Asr, excuse me. Uh, and then we'll conclude the program at Salat al-Maghrib. But we'll break in about 20 minutes for Salat al-Asr. Um, this session I wanted to talk about to know him is to love him. I wanted to talk about the description of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, the description of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is something that a lot of Scholarship has been invested into. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, some of the most remarkable and illustrious people from the first generation of Muslims, the Sahaba, they spent a lot of time, a lot of energy into observing every little detail about the Prophet ﷺ and then discussing it, relaying it, Sharing it, talking about it. And that was a very particular focus of that first generation of Muslims and it continued onward. The personal description of the Prophet a lot of times is alluded to as the, what's referred to in the Arabic language as Shama'il, Shama'il Muhammadiyya, which there's many translations for a description of the Prophet. I like to translate it as the prophetic personality. And of course the most notable and the most reputable of those works was done by Imam at taala, who authored his classical work on the prophetic personality that is organized into 56 chapters. He took 399 narrations intimately and personally describing the Prophet and organized into 56 chapters and presented this and this has been studied and talked about and carried on till today, Um, and that is something that is studied and looked at for the purposes of a very in-depth understanding of who the Prophet was. What I'm going to be doing here today is sharing with you a few narrations, I'll see how the time, uh, you know, how, how things work out in terms of time, whether it's favorable or not. Um, but at the very least, I will start with two with uh, two narrations, two um, you know reports that are a part of this chapter uh, that describe the Prophet ﷺ in a in a very uh, personal, in a very intimate, in a very um, in-depth manner. It's a very beautiful description of the physical presence of the Prophet and then, as if time allows, insha'Allah, I might touch on a couple of more of the narrations here in the first chapter, um, which is titled "Babu Ja'a fi Khalqi sallallahu alaihi wasallam," the chapter about the physical description of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and then there is one narration that is actually not a part of this particular collection. Uh, that is a narration outside of this collection. It's very famous uh, Famously known as Hadith Umm Ma'bad, the narration of Umm Ma'bad, this elderly woman who was a Bedouin woman who was living out uh, In the middle of nowhere and she had this very touching description of the Prophet Sallallahu Because he stopped by on his journey of the Hijrah uh, Going from Mecca to Medina so inshallah I'll touch on that if time allows so the very first narration that we're going to cover here is the eighth narration of this particular first chapter of the Shama'il Muhammadiyah. وَبِهِ قَالَ حَدَثَنَا سُفْيَانُ بْنُ بَكِيعٍ قَالَ حَدَثَنَا جُمَيْعُ بْنُ عُمَيْرٍ بْنِ عَبْدِ الرَّحْمَنِ الْعِجْلِيِّ إِمْلَأَنَا عَلَيْنَا مِنْ كِتَابِهِ قَالَ أَخْبَرَنِي رَجُلٌ مِنْ بَنِي تَمِيمٍ مِنْ وَلِدِ أَبِي هَالَةَ زَوْجِهِ خَدِيجَةَ يُكْنَى عَبْدِ الل عَنِ الْحَسَنِ بْنِ عَلِي رَضِيَ اللَّهُ وَتَالَ عَنْهُ مَجْمَعِينَ قَالَ سَأَلْتُ خَالِي هِنْدِ إِبْنَ أَبِي هالة. So this particular narration is shared with us from the grandson of the Prophet ﷺ. The grandson of the Prophet ﷺ, حَسَن رَضِيَ اللَّهُ who was the son of Ali and Fatima رَضِيَ اللَّهُ وَتَالَ عَنْهُ مَجْمَعِينَ He says, I asked my uncle, Hind ibn Abi Hala about the description of the Prophet ﷺ. This individual Hind ibn Abi Hala he is the stepson of the Prophet ﷺ. When the Prophet ﷺ married Khadija uh, bint Khuwaylid, Khadija al-Kubra ta'ala, anha, she had been married previously. She had a son from her previous marriage by the name of Hind. And he is the one who is being asked by his nephew, the grandson, the son of Fatima, Radiallahu Anha, that please describe the Prophet. He says, الله الله He was very, very detailed when he described the Prophet because he spent a really long time amount of time with the prophet sallallahu and he says wa ana asha an yasifali minha shay'an ataallaq and i desperately wanted him to describe the prophet sallallahu for me in a way that would allow me to become attached to that description fa so he said kana rasulullahi sallallahu alaihi wasallam fakhman mufakhhaman he said the Prophet Sallallahu first and foremost, he said that he was a man of great esteem. He carried himself with a lot of dignity, Mufakhaman. And he was honored by everyone who came into contact with him.. His face was radiant. His face was radiant and it was captivating, just like the full moon is captivating on a still night. The Prophet was taller than your average person, but he was not so tall where he would be intimidating. He goes on to say, "Adimul Hama, the Prophet ﷺ had a very pronounced forehead. He had a very pronounced forehead. Rajilu Shayari, the Prophet ﷺ had curly hair. In infarqat aqiqatuhu, farqah, wa illa fala. If his hair." Would naturally part over this over the course of the day, then he would leave it parted. Otherwise, he did not use to part his hair. He would comb his hair straight back. The Prophet's hair, he would, like I mentioned before, he would comb it back. And he would wear it in such a way where it would go past his earlobes, it would be long, and it would hang back. But then what he would do is occasionally, periodically, he would have somebody cut his hair across at the level of his earlobes. So that's where he would get the hair cut, and then it would get longer, and then he would get the hair cut to there again. Azharul <speaking in foreign> lawn <language> The Prophet ﷺ had a Wheatish complexion. Wasi'ul jabin. Again, the Prophet ﷺ had a very open and wide forehead. But it already mentioned that he had a very pronounced kind of forehead. What it mentions here is, the Prophet ﷺ would wear his turban, which was the headgear that he wore more often than not was a turban. But he would wear it in such a way, where his forehead would remain open. He would not wear it like this. He would actually keep his forehead open. Azajul Hawajib, The Prophet ﷺ had very thick eyebrows. Sawabira They were very thick and long, but they did not totally meet in the middle. There was a little bit of a gap in the middle. بَيْنَهُمَا عرق يدره الغضب. Between, in the middle of his forehead, there was a vein that would bulge when he would be upset. The Prophet, the Prophet's nose seemed to have a little bit of an elevation, and it's like the light would shine off of that point. مَلْ asham. If somebody glanced at the Prophet ﷺ quickly from a distance, they didn't look very closely, at first glance, at first look, you would think that his nose was very large. But that was not actually the case. It was just the way that the light would hit his face, would kind of emphasize his nose. <laughs> The beard of the Prophet ﷺ was very thick. You could not see through it. It was thick. Sahlul الْخَدَّينَ The cheeks of the Prophet ﷺ were very clear. He did not have hair on his cheeks. al الْثَمْ The Prophet ﷺ, when he would smile, he would smile with his whole mouth, side to side. He had a very big smile. مُفْلَجُ Asnan. The Prophet's teeth were very well aligned. The Prophet ﷺ had a line of hair. He had some hair from his chest, and there was a line of hair that would run down to his navel. The Prophet sallallahu his neck looked like it was made out of steel in terms of how clean and clear it was. And also his neck looked long, which the explanation is that the Prophet had very, very good posture. He would sit so straight and upright that his neck looked long. Basically the opposite of how I'm sitting. مُعَتَدِلُ <laughs> try. The Prophet ﷺ had a very average build. He was not very frail or skinny, nor was he heavy. He had a very average build. Badinun But he looked strong. He seemed very firm. He was strong. His chest and his stomach were in the same line. He did not have a belly. The Prophet ﷺ had a wide chest, he was broad-chested. Which he was actually broad-chested, but again it goes back to his posture. He had a very good, strong, firm posture. It always looked like his shoulders were apart. Because of the way he would sit. The Prophet ﷺ had very thick joints. And again that kind of refers to, he was strong. Anwarul the Prophet وسلم, used to clean his hands and his feet to the point where there was no filth on them, so they looked very shiny and clean. Again, describing the body of the Prophet وسلم, Because again, the upper body of the male, a man is not a part of the aura, so it was From time to time, it was possible that at home, family members or whatever had seen the chest and the stomach of the Prophet. So he describes that. And where he says that there was that line of hair that ran from his chest down to his belly button. The Prophet didn't have a lot of hair on his chest or his stomach. أَشْعَرُ وَالْمَنْكِبَيْنِ He had some hair on his upper arms right here. And he had hair on his lower arms as well. وَعَالِيَ الصَّدَرِ And he similarly had some hair on his chest. طَوِيلُ الزَّنْدَيْنِ The Prophet had long fingers. Strong hands, long fingers. رَحْبُ Raha. The palm of the Prophet osam was big as well he had big hands shathinul kafain wal qadamain and his hands and his feet they seemed like they were thick strong again sa'ilul ataraf, or again the prophet osam had long toes and long fingers Masiḥul <laughs> qadamain the Prophet ﷺ had very clean feet. Yambu anhum ida yambu anhum When you when he would pour water on his feet, the water would flow off of his feet because they were not dirty. And that's why when the Prophet ﷺ would make wudu five times a day, he would scrub his feet. he would rub his feet. Ida Zala Zala when the Prophet ﷺ lifted his feet up off the ground, he completely, when he was walking, he would lift his feet totally off the ground. He didn't drag, he didn't shuffle when he walked. يَخْتُو haunan. He walked very deliberately, but he also did not stomp around. He didn't slam his feet on the ground. He lifted his feet up, he took big strides, but he didn't stomp around and stamp his feet on the ground. Zari'ul Mishya, he also walked very quickly. Somewhat so that Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was 30 years younger than the Prophet, 30 years. So when the Prophet was 50, he was only 20 years old. When he was 60, Ali radiallahu was only 30 years old. And he said that I used to have trouble keeping up with him. And Ali by the way, was an athlete. Ali was an athlete. So an athlete 30 years, his junior said, I used to have trouble keeping up with him when he walked. When he walked, it looked like he was walking downhill. When he turned to talk to someone, he didn't just kind of turn his head. He would completely turn in the direction of the person. He would face the person and then speak to them. خَافِدُ الطَّرَفُ The Prophet ﷺ was very gentle. He was very gentle when he spoke to people. ila إِلَى ard. He didn't stare people down. Most of the time, the Prophet ﷺ would just look at the ground. He would look down. He was very humble. مِنْ نَظَرِهِ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ He would look down more than he looked up. جُلُّ نَظَرِهِ Most of the time when you looked at him, it seemed like he was thinking about something. The Prophet would prefer walking at the back of the group, not at the front of the group. He preferred... Walking at the back of the group, not at the front of the group. وَيَبْدَأُ مَنْ لَقِيَ بِالسَّلَامِ And any time he met anyone, he said Salaam first. He said Salaam first. He was not one of those people who waited for others to greet, the, greet him. He greeted other people. There's another very similar narration, I'll go through this a little bit quickly, that is narrated by Ali bin Abi Talib Ali radiAllahu ta'ala anhu was raised in the house of the Prophet He became Muslim when he was only ten years old. There are very few people who knew the Prophet better than Ali ta'ala anhu did. So in this particular narration that Imam At-Tirmidhi brings, والمعنى واحد قال Kalu عيسى بن يونس عن عمر بن عبد الله مولى غفرة قال حدثني إبراهيم بن محمد من ولدي علي بن أبي طالب رضي الله عنه قال كان عليٌ إذا وصف رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لم يكن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بالطويل ولا بالقصير المتردد he says the prophet sallallahu was not so tall that he was intimidating, nor was he so short where you would underestimate him. He was more of an average kind of height. His hair was not very, very curly, nor was his hair totally straight. It was a little more curly, but it could still be kind of, you know, combed or whatever. The Prophet ﷺ was not heavy-set, nor was he overweight. He had a more round face. أَبْيَضٌ مشرب. The Prophet sallallahu had a lighter complexion. Ad al The Prophet sallallahu had dark eyes. Ahdabu al-ashfar. He had long eyelashes. Jalilul mushashi wal-katid. The Prophet sallallahu had very strong physical features. Like he looked strong. Ajrad. He didn't have a lot of hair on his body. Dhu he had a line of hair that ran down his torso. Shatinul Kafaini Wal he had thick hands and feet, strong. When he walked, it was like he was walking downhill. When he turned to address someone, he turned completely and gave them his whole attention. On his upper back between his shoulder blades he had the seal of prophethood which is described as a cluster of moles that was back there and it was a sign that was prophesized of about his prophethood ajwadun nasi sadran he was the most generous hearted person he was the most generous of the people wa asdaqun nasi lahjatan he was the most truthful and honorable of people in speech. Wa and he was the most gentle of the people in his treatment of others. His character, his conduct. Wa he was the most noble in his treatment of his own family members. Man ra'ahu badīhatan ha bahu Someone who got the opportunity to see him in person was in awe of him. Woman Khalatahu and someone who got to actually know him and interact with him would fall in love with him. And every single person that has ever described him has always had the following words to say. لَمْ أَرَىٰ قَبْلَهُ وَلَا بَعْدَهُ مِثْلَهُ I never saw anyone before him like him. And I will never see anyone ever again ever like him. So that's the perfect place to stop. As is always the case whenever you talk about the Prophet ﷺ that you never get to... Uh, everything that you wanted to. Uh, you can never cover as much as you had intended to because it's always so powerful, so beautiful, so in depth uh, that you really just get lost in the description. But inshallah, in the interest of time, uh, today inshallah we have a really beautiful program. After Salat al Asr, immediately, um, after Salat al Asr, excuse me, I just have to consult the program. Immediately after Salat al-Ashar, uh, Ustadh Abdul Rahman will be talking to us about how the companions of the Prophet ﷺ loved the Prophet ﷺ. After that, we will uh, hear from Ustadh Fatima, uh, who will talk about Habibullah, the virtues of the Prophet ﷺ. So, what are the virtues of the Prophet ﷺ that Allah tells us about? And then we will have Mufti Kamani, who will inshallah talk to us about how can we demonstrate and practice our love for the Prophet What's the way to do that? And then inshallah, uh, for closing reflections and the closing dua, we'll have Sheikh Mikail with us inshallah. So with that being said inshallah, uh, what I'll ask is, I'll ask uh, one of the students, inshallah, to call adhan for us. Uh, and then we'll have the iqama and uh, pray Salat al-Asr immediately. And then we'll continue the program after Asr. Jazakum Allah khairan. Assalamu alaykum
1: Assalamu <laughs> alaikum. Alaykum. No? Assalamu <laughs> alaikum. Alaykum. Can you guys hear me? Assalamu <laughs> alaikum. Alaykum. I can just hold it, too. Bismillah uh, walhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. Bismillah walhamdulillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wa ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi Welcome, everybody. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> it's so good to see everyone here on this beautiful day. Uh, alhamdulillah. Um, before we begin, I wanted just to you know take a moment, just look around the room, look at everybody around you. Alhamdulillah. Look at your brothers and sisters. Uh, there's a lot going on right now. I know for you Cowboys fans, there's a lot going on right now. Right? Uh, I don't know. They were winning last time I saw, but you never know. They always have a way of figuring out how to lose. But. The, there, there's so many different things that any person could be doing right now, but to come and gather in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the sake of learning and loving the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is one of the greatest forms of worship that a person can partake in. And so this is an example. This gathering stands as an example of proof of love. And this this gathering is not exclusive to gender right we have male and female here it's not exclusive to ethnicity we have all kinds of backgrounds and interim alhamdulillah and it's also not exclusive to age and i wanted to make one announcement and i want this to be very clear if we love the prophet muhammad and if we promise to try our best to be like him one of the sunan or of the sunan that we have to follow is how the Prophet ﷺ greeted and welcomed and warmed the hearts of children, especially in regards to their relationship with the house of Allah. It is, quite frankly, a contradiction. At best, it's a mistake. At worst, it's hypocritical. When children come to the house of Allah and we make them and their mothers or fathers feel like they are a burden, this is nothing the Prophet Sallallahu ever taught us. In fact, we have many narrations which teach us the opposite. We have the servants of the Prophet Sallallahu young boys who took the charge of serving him, saying things like, I served him for over 10 years and he never once said anything harsh to me. He never once frowned at me. He never once treated me poorly. So when we have people come to the house of Allah, and they bring with them their children, and their children do things that children do, like make noise, like run around, like bump into you, like cut in front of you when you're praying, it's at that moment that you have to remember who our Prophet is. It's at that moment that you have to remember who the Prophet Muhammad was. And you have to remember that in a society and in a culture that was so harsh, the Prophet Sallallahu was the mercy that everybody needed, and that mercy is not exclusive to age. I would hate to be the person that on the Day of Judgment stood there before Allah with high hopes, and then there were a group of strangers that appeared and pointed at me and said, this is the one that made me feel unwelcome. And for an entire lifetime, they felt repelled away from the masjid because when they were children, I scolded them or yelled at them or made them feel like they didn't belong or their mothers or fathers made it difficult for them to come. And so I'm I'm not going to do this again, but I want to make it very clear, inshaAllah, because I've heard a lot of feedback that this masjid is a masjid that is welcoming to everyone. And that, alhamdulillah, Dallas-Fort Worth has so many masajids. And that if a person does not want to be in the presence of children or women or anyone that they feel uncomfortable around, Alhamdulillah, say Alhamdulillah, there are many houses of Allah in this city. And if you don't want to be around different kinds of gatherings that include women, mothers, fathers, children, young, old, all kinds of backgrounds, then I'm happy to give you a Google Maps map that will direct you to the nearest house of Allah where you feel comfortable. Because if you can't concentrate, I'm not going to fault you for that. But you're not allowed to make people feel guilty for being here. Do you agree? Alhamdulillah. Okay. We ask Allah Ta'ala to accept. Okay. So how's everybody? (laughs) Alhamdulillah. I'm very sensitive about this stuff. It wasn't my kid, by the way. But I feel, no, but I feel I'm very sensitive about this because I was the kid who was yelled at growing up a lot. I'll never forget, I'll never forget the story. In Ramadan, in the back of the masjid, we were talking, we were excited. It was the last 10 nights, as everyone is. And we were talking as a group of friends. We weren't even being, if I were to be quite honest with you, recollecting it, you know, recalling it now, we weren't that disrespectful. We were talking at maybe the level of a three out of 10. But there was somebody back there that was just trying to worship. And he yelled at us and said, never come back here. And luckily, uh, Sheikh Ihab, who I later went on to study with, alhamdulillah, there locally in Chicago, he called the man back and he said, you better pray to Allah that they don't listen to you. Otherwise, you're going to be accountable for them on the day of judgment. And I'll never forget that story, subhanAllah. And I, I, I never, ever want us to take lightly the, the feeling that we give people when we don't smile at them. When we don't welcome them, you know there are children here, and this might be the only time they come to the masjid in weeks because they're in school during Jum'ah and it's not Ramadan. How are we going to make them feel unwelcomed right now? Right. So we have to make sure that we're living up to our messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The companions of the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, this esteemed group of people, they are a group, and they have a rare Designation in the Quran, something that no one else today can claim with certainty. The companions of the Prophet Muhammad, the Sahaba, they have a designation by which the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he distinguishes them and says that, عن, that Allah is pleased with them and they are satisfied with Allah as their Lord. This is a tazkiyah, this is like a certification of their faith, of their practice, of their devotion to the Prophet Muhammad If you look at the books of Sirah and the books of history, there are many collections of these stories, of these individuals, and the lengths that they went to to demonstrate. And again, not for the sake of exhibiting or performing, but there were so many organic moments in which they showed their love for the Prophet And so I wanted to share with you three rules of love that I learned from their stories. There's actually four. I'm gonna start with rule number zero. And that is that the love of these people, these men and women, it comes in all different forms, all different shapes and sizes. You had some companions that they would demonstrate their love of the Prophet in a way that would seem to be very, just kind of like natural, mundane, neutral, right? And you had some that would demonstrate their love in a way that almost threw others off guard a little bit, right, just by how dedicated they were. But one thing that you find is that no matter how people demonstrated their love, they were all doing something to connect them to their Nabi Because love, like we learn you know, now, 1400 years later, has different languages. And there's more than five, I think, right? I know that that's the famous book, but there's probably more than five. I think Kunafa's number six, <laughs> right? So there's a lot, you know? Uh, but the point being is that everyone in this room has their own love language with the Prophet Muhammad everybody. It might even be not that you have something that you do, but maybe it's a way that you feel, and it's the ability to channel into that when you hear the name of the Prophet ﷺ. There was a, a woman that I grew up with in Chicago, an elderly woman, and I remember during Ramadan every year, she used to cry every night. Every night she would cry during tarawih, And I thought she was some like, you know, Arabic linguist master, right? And I thought she understood the grammar and the nuance and everything because how could a person be so emotionally moved by the Qur'an without understanding it? I I was like, absolutely, she has to get what what it's saying. And she didn't. I remember one night, you know, we were in conversation and she said that she doesn't understand a single word, right? She's like, "I I don't understand anything. So then someone said to her, but you're so connected, you're so emotional when you hear it. And she said, this is the book that Allah sent to us through His Beloved. How can I not get emotional when I hear that? How can I not become overcome with tears when I realize that I'm one of the few, I'm one of the small percentage of people in human history that Allah has chosen, and through the, 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 the work of his beloved Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that I'm gonna be listening to these words and learning his sunnah and trying to be like him. And she became emotional. So again, that's her connection, right? So number one, or number zero, the foundation is, Everyone in this room has to figure out and has to explore what your relationship with the Prophet Sallallahu is like. And that's why when Sheikh Abdel Nasser speaks about to know him is to love him. To, to know the Prophet Sallallahu is to grow in love. One of the prerequisites of love is knowledge, right? That's why in, in, in America with Western young people looking for marriage, right, the idea of, I don't mean to trigger anybody, so relax. The idea of an arranged marriage is very scary because people are like, I can't marry someone that I don't no. know. Very good, right? There you go, we have someone here who's like, no, we can't, right? <laughs> and you know what? Fair, fair enough. The prophet وسلم, even said as much, right? He didn't, he didn't talk down against arranged marriages, but he, he said to one of his companions that get to know her before you marry her, right? Because love can only grow from knowledge of someone. You can't start with nothing. You have to have at least a seed. So when Shaykh begins with his talk about getting to know and describing the Prophet this is the beginning of a journey of coming to know and love the Messenger But after you reach that love, then you get to another stage, which is obedience. But obedience has a couple different forms. There's obedience and submission as a result of fear, right? You obey somebody because you're afraid of them. And then there's obedience and submission. When you graduate past fear, you actually obey and submit because you love somebody. And the difference between the two, even though it sounds the same, they both are on the outside, they look the same. But the difference is that the second version where you love somebody, the obedience is actually pleasurable. It actually makes you happy. It makes your heart feel full. The first one, you're only there because you have to, and you don't want to get punished. Right, so I'm only, many of us, my my teacher used to tell us that many of us, this is like the story of our professional careers, right? Some people in here, you have jobs because you need to. You don't like that job. You don't necessarily enjoy it, but that's where you, it's like me. I used to work at Bed, Bath & Beyond. I know more about towels than anyone here, right? I used to spend eight hours a day. I used to do etikaf with towels, right? Folding towels, Egyptian cotton, 400 thread count. I know everything, Okay. That was not a job that I particularly enjoyed, even though I'm half Egyptian. I didn't particularly enjoy that job, but guess what? I had to pay my bills I had to so that was submission to work by necessity. and then I you know moved forward a little bit, got a job in different parts of different companies, right I worked for Apple for a little bit, and then I got my degree as a teacher, became a teacher, and those were jobs where it was enjoyable, I enjoyed it, right? And I got paid, so alhamdulillah, win-win. But at the end of the day, there were days where I didn't want to go in because there was no passion there. It was just enjoyable and it paid. And then you can graduate hopefully to a job where it might be difficult, but you love every second of it, right? And alhamdulillah, I would say that here, may Allah protect everything here. Working here is like that for me. But um, faith is the same way. Some of us submit because we don't want to deal with the consequences. Some of us submit because we want reward. And some of us submit and obey because we love Allah and His Messenger. And I don't even need to know the reward. All I need to know is that the Messenger loves something and I love it too. There was a story of a pious person from our tradition one time eating watermelon and crying. Eating watermelon and crying. Okay? So someone saw him and said, why are you crying? You're eating watermelon. Is it painful? Like, what's wrong? And he said, no, I hate watermelon. <laughs> and he's eating it, and he's like, I hate it. And the person says, so why don't you stop? He said, because I heard that the prophet so alaihi i used to eat and enjoy watermelon. And I couldn't imagine being someone who hated something he loved. I couldn't look in the mirror and see that you don't like something that he liked. So I'm going to do this. And by the end of it, by God, (laughs) I'm going to love watermelon. (laughs) Right? The submission is, he wanted to transform that submission from force to yearning, to desire. So the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they mastered this ability to go beyond the bare minimum. This is what they did. They didn't stop because bare minimum is obedience because you have to. That's when it's pass fail. Like, okay, I don't want to go any further. Where can I stop? And that's where you stop. But going beyond is even greater than that. And so what are some stories? There's a the famous Abu Ayyub al Ansari. Many of us know about Abu Ayyub al Ansari because he was the one who, Allah Ta'ala, guided the camel of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to his house. And when he made the migration to Medina, he moved in and stayed with Abu Ayyub al-Ansari That's kind of his, his most notable moment. He also had some other great things about his history. He was obviously someone who went out in the path of Allah. He's buried in Istanbul. So if you ever go and visit Turkey, there's a place they call Ayyub Sultan. You can visit his maqam, make dua for him, and pray in the masjid there. It's beautiful. But Abu Ayyub al-Ansari has a very beautiful story in which he shows the keenness of the companions to go beyond the bare minimum. And so, what did he do? He, uh, the Prophet, sallam, one time, he had a servant that worked for him or that said, I'm free to work for you or for anyone. Like, I can take a position, I can work. And the Prophet, sallam, he said, I'm not, I'm not in need of a servant. Um, so, you know, maybe I can recommend you to work for somebody else? And she said, Sure. So, he found Abu Yubal al Ansari and he said, You know, I have someone who's interested in free to work. Why don't I, uh, you know, hand this opportunity over to you? Now, this person who was working, who was free to work, was enslaved, Okay, And during the time, it was a different kind of slavery. We're not going to go into that. But listen to what the Prophet did. The Prophet, as he was passing on this responsibility or this worker to Abu Ibn Ansari, he said, treat her well. And remember the best thing that anyone can do for a slave is to set them free. But treat her well when she works for you. Okay? Assalamu alaykum. So Abu Yulaw al-Ansari he goes home and he tells his wife good news. We have someone to work for us. She said great. He said bad news. I just set her free. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, "What?" And he said, "Yeah." He said, "You know, we you know, sure we could have used her, but The Prophet ﷺ said that this is the best thing that we could have done. So although it was within my right to technically have this person work, right? And again, when you say enslaved, it's kind of different because they were paid, they were taken care of, the same quality of clothes, same quality of food. It was different, right? It's not what we imagine when we hear that word. But he comes home and he says, even though I can do this, I can't help but continue to do what I know the Prophet ﷺ would want me to do. Right? I'm not going to stop at the bare minimum. And when a lot of us hear these amazing stories about the companions, and then we think about ourselves, we can't help but notice that there's a gap there. We can't help but realize, man, I am not that person. How can I ever be that person? Well, it starts with a commitment to not stopping at the bare minimum. It starts with that commitment. Right? Sa'd bin Mu'adh, radiAllahu anhu, why is Sa'd bin Mu'adh so celebrated as a companion? He was a leader of the Khazraj. He was somebody that was very popular, one of the first converts in Medina to Islam. He was given Islam by uh, Mus'ab ibn Umair early on. And when the Prophet, uh made Hijra to Medina, there was an agreement with the Ansar. The agreement with the people of Medina, the Ansar, was that if we have a war upon us from people before the Hijra, like from issues before the Hijrah, you're not liable, you don't have to join the battle. Okay, it's only us. So when the word came of the Battle of Badr, eventually what would be known as the Battle of Badr, when the word came that Quraysh were coming and they were bringing 1,000 people, the Prophet was out on a caravan expedition and with him were a few people from the Ansar, including Sa'd bin muadh And so he says to Sa'ad, he says, you don't have to join us, but I'm asking you, would you be interested in helping but you don't have to. I'm just reminding you, this is not an obligation. But I want you to remember something right now, the numbers. Battle of Badr was already miraculous because it was over 1,000 versus 313, right? Of those 313, do you know how many of them were obligated? I'll tell you at the end. Close, I'll tell you at the end. So he looks at Sa'd bin Mu'adh and he says, we only have a few people fighting for Mecca, but I'm asking if you'd be interested. But again, you don't have to. And Sa'ad bin Mu'ad looks at the Prophet and he says, Ya Rasulullah, almost in disbelief. Like, Ya Rasulullah, of course we are with you. And he adds this line that like shakes you. He says, Ya Rasulullah, you want to know how with you we are? We are so with you that if you were to march right now in front of us and you walked towards the water of the sea and we saw you step over the edge and your body plunge in, we would follow you right into the water without thinking twice. That's how behind you we are. We're not even going to wonder, like, what did he just do? We're behind you, lock step. The Prophet the narration says he smiled so big that day, the companion said, I've never been more jealous of anyone in my life than Saad. For him to make the Prophet smile that big, they were like, man, you know? But why did the Prophet smile? He smiled because, again, this is the proof inside's faith that he's not going to just go to the bare minimum, okay? So, by the way, the numbers you had roughly 80 people from the Muhajirun, 80 people from the Muhajirin, and you had with them 230 from the Ansar. So, I want you to imagine an already lopsided battle would have been unimaginably lopsided had the Ansar not stepped up to a battle they didn't have to fight in. And this is why we say, may Allah be pleased with them, right? And this is why later, when the Prophet is talking to them, he says that everyone else after battle, they get to go home with spoils of war, shields and swords and all this, but the Ansar, they get to take me home. I'm their spoils of war. I'm their neighbor, they get me, right? So number one, the obedience to the Prophet. ﷺ from love, love does not stop at the bare minimum. Imagine your relationships in life, the ones you love, and they stop at the bare minimum. How hurt would you be? Number two, love does not forget. Love never forgets. In fact, one of the signs of love being in question is that the person is often forgotten. There's a story here, I can't tell the whole thing, but Bilal, Rodiallahuan. Who is Bilal? Bilal is somebody that his faith is on multiple levels unquestionable, but beyond that, he's somebody that had such deep love for the Prophet ﷺ that it's, it's almost to the point where you get goosebumps reading his story, everything he had to go through. We can't tell the whole story because I don't have too much time, but I will say that one part of his story that's particularly amazing is after the death of the Prophet ﷺ after the death of the Prophet Why is it so incredible? Because Bilal's main role in the community was what? What was he supposed to do? Mu'adhan, very good. His job was to call the adhan. And that's a beautiful job. The Prophet used to tell him, arihna biha ya Bilal. He would be sitting with him and say, Bilal, call the adhan. Give us some rest with it, arihna biha. Give us some rest with the adhan. So after the Prophet passed away, they still had to perform the prayer. And part of the adhan, tragically for them at the time, was "Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah." And so Bilal, very famously, when he got to that line, he broke down and started crying, and he couldn't finish. And because what he used to do in Masjid Nabawi was, when he got to that point, he would point at the messenger as he was saying it. And so after the burial had completed, when they started to pray in the Masjid he would point out of almost reflex to where the messenger used to sit, and he would say, and he would just break down and cry. And so during the khilaf of Abu Bakr, he actually asked him, he said, Abu Bakr, can you please relieve me from the duty of Adhan? I can't handle it. And Abu Bakr said, Bilal, we've already gone through so much. If you stop, it's gonna just shatter people even more. And Bilal says to him, Oh Abu Bakr, yeah Abu Bakr, if you freed me because you wanted to enslave me, then I'll listen to you. Because remember, who's the one who bought Bilal? Abu Bakr. So he said, if you freed me all that time ago, two decades ago, if you freed me because I was a slave to you, then I'll call the Adhan. But if you freed me for Allah, then I beg you, let me go. And Abu Bakr starts crying and he says, okay, you don't have to. He goes, I'm going to leave. I have to go. I'm going to go on expedition, defend the Muslim community. Abu Bakr says, I have one request, my dying request. Don't leave Medina until I pass away. Because I I can't. You know, when, When people as a group love someone so much, their presence amongst each other reminds them of the times they had with that person. So Abu Bakr is saying, Bilal, if you leave, man, I don't know if I can keep going. So please stay with me. And Bilal, he said, I will. Then during the Khilaf of of Omar, Omar, he he went to Omar, he said the same thing, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, and Omar let him go. And Bilal, he used to go and he would defend the Muslims, and they went and they opened Bayt al-Maqdis, Jerusalem. May Allah Ta'ala open it for us again, ameen ya Rab. So they opened Jerusalem, and Omar, he asked Bilal at that moment to call the Adhan, to call the Adhan. And it had been years since Bilal had called the Adhan, like years, maybe five, six years at this point, and so he goes and he's just calling the Adhan, and at that same very moment, at that same very time, you would think, you know, they say time heals, right? You would think that he'd be able to get through it, but you bet, as soon as he got to that statement, "Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, he broke down and started crying. Love doesn't forget. You know, when you think of Bilal, and his, his emotional attachment to the Prophet, sallam, to the point where even something like the Adhan, would make him emotional. We have to wonder about us. You know, why don't we get emotional when we think about him? I mean, the famous narration in Bukhari of the tree stump and the commentary, Ibn Hajar, he comments on this. The Prophet used to give khutbah on a tree stump, and he used to stand on it and give his khutbah. One one time, at some point, the companions thought that we need to build a proper mihrab for him, a proper mimbar and mihrab. So they built one for him, and the Prophet, he ascended the member to give khutbah, and the companion said, Suddenly we heard the sound of somebody weeping. And we looked around, and no one was crying. And then we kind of like zoned in, and we found out that the sound was coming from the tree. The tree was weeping. And the Prophet, he got off the member, and he went to the tree, and he put his blessed hand on it, and he just consoled it. And Ibn Hajar, in his, in his commentary on this hadith, he says, how hard are our hearts that we don't shed tears when we find ourselves distant from the Prophet when a tree stump that is ostensibly a dead object cries when the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi stands a few feet away. Ibn Hajar, Ibn Hajar was like, in a moment. He's like, are you kidding? This dead object is shedding tears, and here I am, Right, living my life, my name is Muhammad, and I tell people call me Mo. No offense, I'm so sorry. If, right? But we gotta call it like, you know, my name is 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 you know uh, Khadijah and I tell people call me cat, right? Don't ever do that, by the way, okay? You get my point? There was a certain level of of confidence and, and pride that came from the love of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The famous narration where they asked one of the people, asked the, the companions. Your prophet even teaches you how to clean yourself after washing yourself, like after using the bathroom? Your prophet teaches you that? And they stood up and said, yeah. You gross people, yes. <laughs> of course he does, you know? And they're like, you're weird. What kind of religion teaches you that? And they were like, Islam. They had no fear because of their love of the prophet, sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Right, when you love somebody, like, it's like a kid talking about his dad to everybody else. Even if the dad is weird, like, I play golf, right? Like, Musa like tells us, my dad plays golf. Everyone's like, what a weird guy. But Musa's so proud of his dad who plays golf, right? Everyone here is like, this guy really is white. OK, so, <laughs> so, so remember, rule number one, love never stops at the bare minimum. Rule number two of the companions, love doesn't forget. It doesn't forget, OK? Rule number three. At the start and end of everything is the focus of the beloved. Like, it's not just about not forgetting, but it's about at the beginning of your day, at the end of your day, and at every point in between, everything reminds you of the beloved, right? And this is an example. This is an example of all the companions. This is how they lived, to the point where Some of them didn't even want to leave Medina when they started to get a little bit older in age, because they were afraid that if I pass away outside of this city, I won't be buried in the city of the Prophet They were worried about that. You know, once they hit a certain age, they were like, no more traveling. It's the opposite of us, you know? We hit a certain age, and we're like, sign me up. For them, they're like, we're staying. And there's a story in particular about a companion, Sawad, at the Battle of Badr, it's narrated in the seerah Ibn Hisham, where the Prophet ﷺ was lining up people for battle, and he was using his stick to line them up, to make their lines straight. So he would go and push them, and he would bring them forth, right, to straighten the line. And there was a companion by the name of Sawad and the Prophet ﷺ, he pushed against his stomach to line him up, and one of the, the commentators even said that it was perhaps, maybe that even Sawad stepped out of line on purpose. So the Prophet pushed him back into line and he goes, Ah! And everyone looks at him and they're like, Do we want to fight next to this guy in battle right now? Like, He says, Ya Rasulullah, you hit me. And the Prophet says, I was just, you know, I was, sorry, I was pushing you back. He goes, La Ya Rasulullah. Retaliation. It's part of the rules. If you hit, I get a strike back. The companions were dumbfounded. Like, this is guy going crazy. He's trying to hit the Prophet before Bed did. it. Right? And they're just looking at him like completely confused. And he says, Ya Rasulullah, I want retaliation. I want my right. And you better believe the companions were like, We're gonna just, we're gonna, we're gonna give you your right in a second. <laughs> the Prophet so said, him, said, No. He said, guys, relax. He's right. If I hit him, then he deserves his retaliation. So then he put the stick down, he said, go ahead. Sawad says, La Ya Rasulullah, my stomach was bare. My, my abdomen was bare. Yours is covered. If you're going to allow me to retaliate, we have to be in the same position. Like, you have to lift your shirt. The companions are even more shocked. <laughs> what? So Sawad says, you have to lift it. The Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, says, sadaqt Okay, you're right. He lifts his shirt. At that moment, when Sawad sees the abdomen of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he goes and grabs him and he kisses right above his stomach, into his chest. He grabs and he hugs it and he kisses it. And everyone is looking at him, and he says, Ya Rasulullah, when I looked out into the, the Valley of Badr where we're about to go into battle, I had a very eerie feeling that I'm going to die. Like it overcame me that this is your last moment, your minutes are going. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, I couldn't think of anything I wanted to be the final moment of my life than me embracing you and touching your skin. That I could maybe take that with me. That when I die and they wrap my body and I'll be resurrected to meet Allah, maybe the fragrance of your body will still be on me on the day of judgment. And so Ya Rasulullah, all of this I just did, forgive me. It was a play, but I needed a reason to embrace you, to hug you. What's the last thing that we do before we go to sleep? What's the last thing we look at or listen to before we close our eyes? What do we say about sleep? It's the minor death, right? (laughs) Alhamdulillah alladhi ahiyana ba'dama amatana, right? The du'a we make. It's the minor death. The last thing before we go to sleep. We're instructed by the sunnah of the Prophet to read some Qur'an, to read some awra'at, to read some dhikr, to send salawat on the Prophet and go to sleep. Not scroll, not read. What's the last thing? Remember, love finishes with the beloved. So every night that we rest our heads and close our eyes, unsure if we are going to wake up in the same state, the best thing we can conclude with is la ilaha illallah muhammad Rasulullah. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us this love and more. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be those that willingly and lovingly obey we ask allah to give us the ability to always remember him and we ask allah to allow us to start and end our days with love of his beloved Amin. rabbal Rabbil Alameen allahumma bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta wa natubu ilaik assalamu alaykum wa wa next we have uh Ustada fatima inshallah far my superior in both knowledge uh also in drip as you can see mashallah and also in her personality and humor so we ask allah ta'ala to accept from her so please uh, prepare yourself for her uh, talk, inshallah.
2: Can you guys hear me? Yes? Good? Kinda, I'm just going to hold it. Her job problems. Alrighty. Bismillah <laughs> Rahman Rahim, Rappish Rahli Sadri, Wayasari, Amini, Wahlul Okadetamilisani, Yafkohokoli, Rabbi Zidni and Ma, Rabbi Zidni and Ma, Rabbi Zidni and Ma. So alhamdulillah, you guys have gotten a good I would say background and just of kind of the virtues, not necessarily the virtues, but what we're here for today. It's not working. Okay, I think that's better. Can you guys hear? All the way in the back? Yes? Okay. So we've gotten a good background in what we're here for today and learning about the Prophet. Wa sallam, and Kind of what Sheikh Munasir started off with is that learning about the life of the Prophet and learning about the virtues and the background and the character and how the Prophet was is something that you never can just get enough of. The more that you learn about him, the more that you research about him, the more that you're able to hear about his stories and how he was as a person. Every single time you hear about that. You hear a different aspect or a different perspective. And what it does is that it opens your heart more to who the Prophet وسلم, was. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, and the Quran being the book that is sent to us, and is meant for us to be able to take lessons from, and is meant from for us to be able to bring understanding of our deen, he talks about the Prophet وسلم, in many different ways. And to pick out all of the verses in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to the Prophet would mean that we'll be here for a very long time. Even the description of how Allah SWT addresses the Messenger Sallallahu is something that the scholars spend pages talking about. That Allah SWT will talk to the people, to other prophets, about other prophets in their blessedness by calling them by their names. But when Allah SWT addresses the prophet Sallallahu Alaihi in the Quran, he calls him Ya Nabi or Ya Rasul right, showing that belovedness and that closeness that the Prophet has to Allah ﷻ. And this is why we say that he's Habibullah, right? he's the beloved of Allah. So Allah says in Surah Ali Imran, which is the third chapter in the Quran, he says Lakad manna allahu ala that God has truly bestowed f- favor, right? Manna is like, it is a gift, right? It is to be gracious, right? It is to give a favor. It is to give something that allows for you space to, like, appreciate something. It is something that you didn't know you needed, but God gave it to you. So Allah says that God has been ever so gracious to the believers. When he sent a messenger to them from amongst them. That the Prophet being a human being, being from mankind himself. And the difference that he is from us is that God has sent divine revelation to him, it is something that gives us a level of understanding. It is something that gives us a level of connection. It is something that is actually a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That our role model, that the one who's our Prophet, that we take Islam, our deen from, is someone who had experiences similar to ours. Someone who able, we're able to, to connect to. Someone we're able to understand. And so when the Prophet وسلم, is telling his companions that the best of you are the ones that are best to your family and I'm best to my family, it is not some angel telling us, be good to your family. It is a human being. It is the Prophet وسلم, in his blessedness, showing us that in my blessedness, I can do this for my family. Look what you can do. And so Allah وسلم, says that this is grace from God. This is a favor from Allah. This is a blessing from Allah that he has sent to us a messenger from amongst us. And what does this messenger do? He says, آياته, that he recites to them his, his verses, meaning the verses of Allah. Him, and he purifies them. The interesting thing is that the Prophet Sallam is the vessel in which the Quran was revealed. The Quran comes from Allah, and it's the speech of Allah, it's the book of Allah, and the Prophet is given the honor of bringing the Qur'an to us, right? The Prophet is given the honor of reciting the verses to us. But the nature of scripture is that it's not just meant to be recited, it's meant to transform you. And so Allah Taala says, well, you Him?" And he purifies them, he transforms the people. And then Allah Taala says, وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ well, kitaba and he teaches them the book that he teaches them this book that he is reciting to them that he allows for us to be able to understand the book of Allah more that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent us the Quran but the Quran has an aspect of it that it is in the embodiment of it is through the prophet sallam so the prophet sam teaches us the book and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says wal hikmah and the wisdom and the scholars say that the wisdom here is actually talking about the sunnah and the way of the Prophet ﷺ, How the Prophet Sallallahu once was. And Allah says, in kainu min qablu That before this, mankind, they were clearly astray. That it was a blessing, it is a blessing from Allah ﷻ, That our messenger ﷺ, has been sent to us. And it's a blessing from Allah Subhanahu that our messenger, Sallallahu his life has been preserved for us to be able to learn from, for us to be able to take his example, for us to be able to navigate life in a way that is the best for each and every single one of us. And this is not by accident, but is by favor and by grace of Allah Subhanahu Allah Subhanahu says in Surah Al-Ahzab, Ya ayyuhan nabi O Prophet, inna arsalnaka shahidan wa mubashiran wa nadheera, that we have certainly sent you as a witness and a bearer of good news and a person who tells the warnings and then allah ta'ala says wa and a caller ilallahi to allah bi by the permission of allah ta'ala sirajan munira and a light that is illuminating a lamp that is illuminating Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these verses, in Surah al gives five descriptions of the Prophet salam. The first description that he gives is shahidan. Okay? He says, Inna Indeed, most definitely, without a doubt, we sent you shahidan as a witness. Someone to bear witness. Now, what does that mean? What does the Prophet ﷺ bear witness to? There are so many different interpretations that are brought in the tafasir. And all of them have to do with the Prophet Sallallahu bear witness for his ummah. Every single one of them have to do with the Prophet Sallallahu bear witness for his nation, for his people, for us. That the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi a dua that we make is that the Prophet Sallallahu intercedes on our behalf on the Day of Judgment. That there's a lengthy narration that talks about how mankind will go to different prophets asking for their intercession. And each one will say, well, I have something that I need to go to Allah ta'ala and ask forgiveness for. That there are things that are stacked up against me that I need to go clarify to Allah. And when mankind comes to the Prophet Sallallahu what does the Prophet do? He goes into sajda. And when he goes into sajda, what does Allah ta'ala say? He says, oh, my servant, lift your head up. What are you here for? And that is the Prophet saying. He responds and says that I'm here to bear. I'm here to intercede on the behalf of my ummah, on behalf of my people. Shahidan. Why? Because if you are interceding on someone's behalf, I know sometimes like we have we call them in our little column circle Muslim words. Okay, interceding is one of those Muslim words. Supplication, these things. But interceding, think of it as like it's a very interesting. A analogy, but I'm going to go there because I'm already there. Think of it as like someone on trial. Okay, someone's on trial. There's a situation happened. Someone stole candy from a store. Okay, we're not trying to get deep here. So someone stole candy from a store, and somebody comes in and they said, you know what? I know this person. They're the best person ever. Every time they come to the store, they actually pay three dollars extra. There's no way they stole candy from the store. The Prophet comes as a witness for us. That he sent us the message that as his ummah we tried our best to follow it. And he's putting himself on the line for who? For you and me. For you and I. But that is in his nature, in his description. Because this is what Allah says about who the Prophet is. So the first characteristic that Allah gives is shahidan. The second characteristic, Allah says, wa mubashiran. Mubashiran means someone who's a bearer of good news. It's a congratulator. Imagine someone's job is just to say congratulations. Great job, great job, great job. You win, you win, you win. No, this is not a carnival, this is real life. This is what the prophet Salam is. That the prophet tells us the good news of paradise. He gives us the good news of ease. He gives us the good news of, you know, Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy and Allah Subhanahu wa compassion. And then Allah SWT says, وَنَدِيرًا And that he is a warner. Now nadir is a type of warner that warns you out of love and compassion, out of care, right? You ever have somebody tell you, like, don't do something, but you know they don't care? They're just like, yeah, if you want to do it, do it, but I don't, I don't think you should do it. The Prophet is not like that. That the Prophet had such love and such compassion for his ummah that the Prophet would be in heartache from the wrong that his ummah would do. He will be in heartache from the people that they didn't believe. And Allah is the one who tells him that there are people who are not going to believe. And that is the reality of it. But your job is what? Is to believe. Your job is to send the message. That is your job. But the Prophet, says him in his nature, as a warner, and even in the way that Allah is describing him, that he has that love and that compassion and that care. And this is why the Prophet Sallallahu would stand in for hours in Salah. And who did he pray for? He prayed for us. He would cry and he would weep. And he would make du'a for what? His brothers and sisters. The ones that didn't see him. The ones that never laid eyes on him. But they believed in the message that he brought. This is the Prophet Sallallahu And then Allah SWT says, Wada'iyan. And that he's a caller of his people. Illallahi. Who is he calling them to? He's calling us to Allah. The Prophet ﷺ by no means was self-serving. By no means. Yet there is, I was just reading a narration a couple of days ago. It's a bit like lengthy. But I was reading a narration of how Umar bin Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, one day he wanted to visit the Prophet ﷺ about something that happened between the Prophet ﷺ and Hafsa radiallahu anhu. And when he went to visit him, he saw that the Prophet ﷺ was laying on a straw mat. Okay? He was laying on a straw mat. And yeah, it was the custom at that time that maybe their beds weren't like super plushy, but they would put something on it to make it a little bit more comfortable. And then he saw that the pillow of the Prophet it had like uh, feathers, but it didn't have it normally should have feathers, but it didn't have feathers in it. And so then he paid attention to that as well. And he completely forgot what he came to talk to the Prophet about because he saw the living condition of the Prophet. And he asked them, do you want me to bring you something to like, make you comfortable? And the Prophet says, what are you talking about? He says that for me, riches and all these things, because Omar Rehattab said there's previous prophets that have come, like Sulaiman, and they have like, kingdoms. Would you like for me to bring you something? And the Prophet says, basically, to sum up, that I leave my, my comfort for the hereafter. That I'm here for what? For, for this, this message. So the Prophet was by no means self-serving. He didn't come here to preach a message to call us to him. He was calling us to what? To Allah. To the obedience that we should bestow to Allah Allah. To the following that we should have to Allah Allah. For us our submission to Allah Allah. And the nature of calling someone to something like submission is that you have to teach a person how to submit. Because submission is not easy. It's not. You're submitting your intellect You're submitting your own independence. You're submitting a lot of things that you think you have control over to Allah. And what is easy on the tongue but hard in action is tawakkul. Easy on the tongue. Tell somebody, trust in God, they say, I got it. Ask somebody what they're going to do in five years, watch them stress. Watch them stress. But the Prophet taught us that. He taught us what it meant to have this level of trust. In Allah, SWT, to submit every inch of our being to Allah. SWT. And He had the patience and the forbearance and the consistency to do that. And this is why Allah SWT praises Him. And Allah SWT then says at the end of this verse, He says, munira, That He is a lamp that is illuminated, that's luminous. And what this means is that, you know, there's actually an, a, a, a quote here. From a, a scholar in the Mufassirun, and he says that as the sun illuminates the whole world, that the sun, it it illuminates the world, brings light to the entire world. The Prophet brings light to the hearts of the believers. That the Prophet's light is so illuminous that that is what we reflect. That this is why when Allah says, "Lakadakan ala that you will find in the messenger of Allah a perfect role model. What he's saying is that there's this, this is this light that you can imitate. This is this light that you can have to light you up. That the Prophet ﷺ was a reflection of the Quran. That's what he was. He is someone who in his essence, his goodness, his kindness, his love, his compassion, it rubbed off on people. It put light into their hearts. How many stories do we have of companions that became companions by just being in the presence of the Prophet, ﷺ? right? That you have the very famous narration of Abdullah bin Salam that he says that the people were waiting outside for days for the Prophet ﷺ to enter into Medina. And he was a rabbi. And so he's saying like, you know, I'm telling these people that I don't really know. I don't really know what's happening here. Sure, you saying all these things about your prophet, but I don't really know. He was skeptical, you would say. And then he says that when I saw the face of the messenger, I knew that that wasn't a liar. I knew it. That is how illuminating the Prophet was. And Allah Taala says this. Allah Taala also says in the Quran, He says that, مَا كَانَ Min Min, min That the Prophet Muhammad is not the father of any man. He says, Allah. Rather, he is the messenger of Allah. And what this means is that the Prophet son was not the biological father of any man. Rather, the Prophet son was the spiritual father. He is the one who did tarbiyah of the people. He is the one who helped them. He is the one who allowed, helped us on our path to Allah Taala. And then what does Allah Taala say? Nabiyin," <laughs> That he is the seal of prophethood. This is actually one of the biggest blessings of the Prophet. ﷺ. This is actually one of the biggest virtues that Allah SWT has bestowed upon the Prophet. ﷺ. The reason being is that when something gets to its final stage, that's the best. It's the best. It's like, I know this is like a silly analogy, but it's like eating leftovers the next day. It's the best. The seasoning is there, it tastes good, the salt's right. It's like, mmm. And then especially if someone else warms it up for you, it's perfect, (laughs) right? That the Prophet ﷺ has all of these fraternity or brotherhood that has come before him. And each and every single one of them, yes, they came with a great message. And each and every single one of them, yes, came with great virtue. But the Prophet ﷺ had the most perfect in his message. He was the most perfect in how he was as a prophet. Allah ﷻ gives him this honor. It is not us bestowing that honor on him. It is God bestowing that honor on him. Allah SWT is saying that the Prophet Sallam is Khatim clarifying that. Allah could have stopped at Rasulullah, that he's a messenger of Allah. But he clarifies that he's the last prophet, the final, the seal of prophethood. Why? Because it is talking about the most honorable stage of being a prophet. And the, the, the prophets themselves, we know that in Israel and Mi'raj, what do they do? They bestow that honor to the Prophet ﷺ as well, right? And when the Prophet goes, and it's time to pray. What do they do? They push who? The Prophet ﷺ to lead the prayer. Why? Because of the honor of the seal of prophethood that the Prophet ﷺ was. So this is the blessing that Allah ﷻ bestowed upon the Prophet ﷺ. And that is messengership, and prophethood, and being the seal of prophethood, with all of these characteristics. Allah says, though, in the Quran, he clarifies to the Prophet about his greatness. Not to boost the Prophet up per se, but rather because you find that the Prophet is dealing with a people that don't recognize who he is in his essence. They don't truly recognize who the Prophet is in his greatness. And... I tell the students this a lot, that sometimes when we talk about disbelievers, we automatically remove ourselves from the conversation. And Allah SWT is putting these, these things in the Quran for us to pay attention to. And what does that mean? That God has blessed the Prophet ﷺ in a way that is absolutely imperative and is absolutely important for our deen and the proper practicing of our religion to know him, to honor him, to, have, to know the virtue that the Prophet ﷺ comes with. So Allah says, They used to call the Prophet crazy. They used to call him that. He would bring them the message and they would say, Oh, you're just a crazy person. You don't know what you're talking about. And Allah says that the way that your Lord has graced you, the blessing that your Lord has bestowed upon you, there's no way you can be crazy. That someone that has this level of blessing, and someone that has this maqam, this station of praise, and that is this praiseworthy. There is no way that you can be insane. And then he says to him, inna, in, wa inna laka la ghaira That there is a reward that is waiting for you that will never end, right? And the thing is about this is that the Prophet ﷺ endured so much in his lifetime. And I use the word endured because he pushed through, he kept going. He dealt with a lot of sadness and hardship and difficulty and good times too, but a lot of difficult times, a lot of difficult decisions, a lot of difficulty in the message for us. He bestowed a lot of hardship for us. And Allah says that all of that that you're doing and they're calling you crazy and a sorcerer and a magician and all of these things. Know that the reward that is waiting for you at the end of this, it is never ending. That it is like, a, it, is, it is as if there's, you don't even say light at the end of the tunnel. Because there's no end to the tunnel. That it is illuminating. It is something that you can't even imagine. And then Allah I says, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُكِ that truly you have have the strongest of character, the best of character. And this part of the uh, the surah is so beautiful. I like when Allah SWT says things like adim, because there's so much room for interpretation in the sense that it means the the cream of the crop, the best of the best. Think about greatness times 10,000 that when you go into the sirah and you're looking at the character of the Prophet you know this ayah to be true. Because you have many companions that have spent so much time with the Prophet that have no problem stating their opinion and how they truly feel, (laughs) saying that I've been in the service or I've been in the company of the Prophet for many years and I've never seen something terrible of him. That Anas bin Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said that I served the Messenger wasalam, for 10 years and he never said off to me. Off. There's another narration that says that there was a time when the Prophet sent Anas bin Malik to do something. And when he sent Anas bin Malik to do something, Anas bin Malik was a kid so he, you know, got distracted on the way. You know when your mom tells you to go look for something and you find something else and then you're, you're playing with that and then. You hear your name getting called like eight times, and you know that on the seventh time, like this means death. So I might as well just keep playing with this. Anas bin Malik says that I was playing in the street, and I saw the Prophet sallam, come by. I saw him come by, and he came to me, and he basically just, you know, ruffled my hair a little bit and kept it pushing. That. He says, I was in the service of the Prophet ﷺ for 10 years and he never said off oh, to me. And he never had any concern about why didn't you do this or why did you do that. But the Prophet ﷺ was, you would say, he was a, a tarbiyah person. He was a murabi, right? He was a mentor. So he didn't let people run wild, but he also didn't treat people without dignity and respect. That the Prophet, ﷺ, in his character, you find that people were able to grow and go into the best version of themselves without feeling belittled and less than. The Aisha ta'ala she talks about the Prophet's character. And she says, al That his character, his personality, the way that he carried himself, who he was, how he talked, the way that he walked, it was the Qur'an. That's who he was. The, all the teachings that the Quran had about how you should be as a person, that is what the Prophet ﷺ exhibited. This is who the Prophet ﷺ was. So when Allah ﷻ says that, la'ala that you are in the most noble of character, the strongest, the best, the cream of the crop, it is telling us that the Prophet ﷺ's character and how he was in every aspect of his life is what we should strive for. It is what we should take as example. It is what we should include in our life. And just kind of to close off this last portion, Allah tells us how he got this character. Allah says, in huwa illa wahyun. Allah says, Wa ma anil hawa. that he doesn't speak on his own desire, right? The Prophet didn't walk around and tell people that I want this and this and this because it's for me. Go do this. Go do that. The nature and why people think that they want leadership is because they like to boss people around. They like to feel like, you know, the big man on campus. You know? They like to feel like, oh, okay, people are serving at my feet. But the Prophet, in his nature, never spoke from his own desire. It was never from his own, I want to feel greatness. What did he speak? in? Hua illa wahyun yuha. That he spoke from what God had inspired to him. Remember, we said, yetulu Alehim Ayati. That he recited to them his verses, the verses of Allah. That's where, Allah, that's where the Prophet spoke from. He spoke from the revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, someone who's a vessel and has bestowed with that honor of being the vessel of the Quran who has the utmost character will be the best in form will be the best in person and this is why when we recognize this blessing allah says in one of the, the verses that shows the greatest virtue of the prophet sallam inna allaha wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi, that allah and his angels they send blessing yusalluna they send mercy and blessings on the prophet and then allah says what Ya Ayuha Ya Aminu, all you who believe, Salu Alehi Taslima, that you send your blessings upon him too and give greetings of peace. This is why we say Allahumma Salli Ala Muhammad Wa Ala Ali Muhammad, Kama Salli Ala Ibrahim Wa Ala Ali Ibrahim, Inna Hamidum Majid. That Allah tells us to send these blessings and salutations on the Prophet because of how great the Prophet is, because of the honor that the Prophet has, right? Because God has given him that honor. And so I hope that today we're able to take from these virtues that we see here today that Allah has presented for us in the Quran, and we're able to actually have a deeper level of connection with the Prophet. And I want to end off with one thing, a practical thing, because I believe in practicality, that, you know, the first time I heard the narration about Omar bin Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the Prophet telling him, like, love me more than you love yourself, and like the whole back and forth thing, you know, I'm not going to get into it, but there's a whole back and forth. I thought to myself, that's really hard. And forget about yourself. Like, think about your mom or your parents or your kids or whatever. And you see them and you hug them and you talk to them. And you, 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 you know you can feel the love. Right? And so thinking about that and translating that love to the Prophet you have to ask yourself, what do I need to do to work towards that? We hear these virtues and how Allah SWT has bestowed this greatness on him. But for some reason, sometimes we still don't feel it. Or we feel it in the moment, and then after this, it's like, okay, khalas, like we're good, alhamdulillah. But something that we need to invest in is we need to invest in learning more about the Messenger. Because majority of the time when we do not understand something about a narration or how the Prophet said something, it is it is a misunderstanding of not knowing the person. Because when you're able to recognize that the Prophet was someone who was so patient and so kind and so loving that he sat in the middle of the street to talk to someone for hours that he did not know, there is no way that you will think that the Prophet ﷺ was oppressive to anyone. That when you know that the Prophet ﷺ asked a young boy about his bird, a bird, his pet bird, and he was sad about it, and the Prophet Sittim sat with him and exhibited that sadness with him, then you know that the Prophet ﷺ would never harm anyone. Then when the Prophet ﷺ would stand for hours in prayer, making du'a for us and praying for us as a nation of people that have not seen him, then you know that everything that the Prophet ﷺ did was purely out of what Allah ﷻ had asked him to do. And you're able to develop a deeper relationship not only with the Prophet ﷺ, but with Allah subhanahu wa So I want everybody here today to make the intention that you're gonna learn more about your messenger. I don't care if you've already read a book about it, read another one. I don't care if you already heard a podcast about it, read another listen to another one. You already took a class about it, take another one. Deepen your knowledge, deepen your relationship, deepen your understanding of the Prophet, and you will find that you will you will soar in your religion. I pray that Allah allows us to benefit from everything that we heard here today. I pray that Allah forgives us all of our shortcomings. And that Allah allows us to be the people that are in the company of the Prophet on the Day of Judgment. I pray that Allah allows us to be the people who the Prophet will intercede on our behalf. And that Allah blesses us with the good character that the Prophet had. Allahumma bihamnika. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastakfiruka. Wana tubi lake jazakallah khairan. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. If I'm not mistaken, it's mother time. Yeah, it's looking mighty muggy outside, so I'm gonna let someone call that out. Yeah, we're gonna continue after with Mufti Kamani and then Sheikh Mikhail.
4: and then after that i'll be doing just closing remarks and a
3: final dua inshallah so we thank you for your patience inshallah we're almost wrapping it up inshallah may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us love of the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam inshallah
4: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله عباده الذين خصوصا على سيد وخاتم الانبياء وعلى آله وأصحابه أما بعد So far, so much has been said regarding loving the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. How the Prophet sallallahu features were the character of the Prophet the love the companions had for the Prophet The ulama say that in order for ita'a, obedience to the Prophet to be meaningful, it must be preceded by love. If a person is told to follow the sunnah of the Prophet without having a thorough introduction to who they are imitating, it won't be something they look forward to or enjoy, it'll be a burden on them. Chore. Things I have to get done. So therefore, when we tell our children that you must eat with your right hand, or that this is the way you will dress, or this is the way you write, this is the way you should walk, this is the way you enter into the masjid, It seems like a lot of formalities and protocol that doesn't make sense, that why am I doing all of these things? So it's common for people as they grow older to then question the legality of these things, that is it legally obligated on me? And if it's obligated, I'll do it. If it's not obligated, then I prefer to hold back for a bit. That question of legality only comes into place because the issue of love was omitted. Otherwise, in the presence of love, Questioning the legality of something is an offense itself. The example of this is like a husband or wife claiming their legal right in a marriage. Usually that's a big problem in their relationship. That's a big sign that if a husband says, this is my right, or the wife says, this is my right, if they had to go that far to receive something from someone, they should probably reconsider where they are in their marriage at that moment. Because these relationships in reality are fueled by love. So you don't find the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu asking the Prophet ﷺ the legal rulings regarding issues. That our Messenger of Allah is washing your mouth three times in wudu sunnah, or is it fard? Is rinsing the nose three times sunnah or fard? You don't find that. The way the fuqaha deduced the obligations of wudu is a system based on their usul and principle. It's not an explicit statement that Rasulullah is saying that this is the sunnah, this is the fard, because as the ulama write for the earlier generations of the Sahaba, every sunnah in terms of practicality and practice was equivalent to fard. The, the idea that someone would miss something in practice that Rasulullah did in his life was absurd. That How is that possible? Because those relationships were established on love. Ita'a must be preceded by love. So the story of the Prophet needs to start in our life that qissa, that narrative from a young age. That this is who the Prophet is. This is why we follow his way. Because Allah tells us that following his example, his character, Imitating Him will bring light in your life. At the end of the day, when you go to sleep, you can smile to yourself and say that Alhamdulillah, in this day, I was able to hold on to the tradition of Rasulullah wasallam. My actions meant something. They were broken, but they meant something. That these statements and doings of mine will be a light for me on the Day of Judgment. That Rasulullah will be proud of me when he sees me on the Day of Judgment. That I held on to his legacy. Love, my friends, is an emotion. Like other emotions, you have, you know, anger and grief. These emotions themselves don't necessarily produce good or bad. Someone says, is huzn, a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it depends. In some cases huzn, grief, could be disastrous. It can break a person down and leave them in, in rubble. And on the other hand, this very same huzn can turn someone into a wali of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. It can bring them very close to Allah azawajal. The Anbiya musalam, experienced huzn and grief. The same thing goes with anger. Anger, another emotion. It could be a path to enacting and establishing justice, as we see in the case of Rasulullah and his anger. And then at the same time, it could be also a tool for injustice and zulm, as we see in unfortunately our case that our anger leads us to doing wild evil things. There was a person whose parent passed away. So I sent him a voice note and I told him that the pain you're feeling right now is very extreme. There's no doubt in that. How can someone feel anything less than that at the news that their mother or father has passed away. And I said to him that all this emotion that you're experiencing right now, just let it sit. Be okay with it. Don't be angry at yourself because of your emotion. Just let it be. Experience what you're experiencing. But in the days to come, you will need to channel this emotion out. Because if you don't channel it out, it'll sit with you. And it has the ability and capacity of destroying you and making you non-functional and potentially useless for the rest of your life. This is why Rasulullah Wasallam capped the mourning period at three days. That it's time for you to start moving on. Now that doesn't mean that you forget everyone and you're, you know, a wave of a wand fixed and perfect to go. Development and rebuilding yourself and coming out of this pit of grief that you're in could take years. But you need to start now. The journey needs to start. You wake up to this morning and you say that I'm going to start building my relationship again with the people around me. I'm not going to cut myself off or be isolated. So I said to this person that there is an opportunity at your doorstep right now because of the immense amount of grief you're feeling. My suggestion to you is when the time is right, start channeling it into action. That I'm going to do something about this. My mama left me, maybe I'll dedicate my life to doing good in her name maybe i'll build a masjid for her so five years from now ten years from now when you look back at your life and you ask yourself what did i do with that grief there's something anchoring you down in reality that i actually did something with that emotion there was a reality there was a meaning that came out of it that every time i look at that masjid i smile and say Allahumma laka shukr that every sajda in this musalla in this masjid will be in the Book of deeds of my mother or my father, in whatever case it may be. So when Rasulullah sallallahu passed away, the companions were faced with such pain that is unimaginable. Think of the pain that a child will feel. And for those of you who've lost parents know exactly what I'm speaking of. There is an ache in the heart that you don't even know how to deal with. It's just so deep and it hurts like someone is... Has plunged a dagger into your chest. Now multiply that by many folds and think of the Sahaba. This the thought that they would never see revelation in Medina again. They wouldn't see the smile of the Prophet again. Their Imam in Salah, you know, we wake up to our alarms. Nobody likes their alarm. Everybody hates it. Their morning Sound was the salah of Rasulullah sallallahu in Fajr. Ah. People talk about the chirping of birds, and the breeze of the the breeze brushing against leaves to be comforting. But imagine a morning where a person wakes up to the sound of Rasulullah sallallahu and his own voice saying, "Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin." Sahib Wahi saying this. That all praises for Allah, the Lord of the worlds. But now they realize that that's gone. The show's over. N- not disrespectfully. You guys understand, right? That, 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 that excitement that you had, it's gone. Anas bin Malik anh, says, as narrated by Imam Tirmidhi in his Jamir, that the most joyful day we had was the day the Prophet came to Medina. Man, was it amazing! It's like when you go to receive your child or parent at the airport after not seeing them for a while. There's this jitterness, this excitement in your heart that, ah, when I get home from this trip, mama's going to make some maqluba for me, some biryani for me, some samosas for me. There's a happiness there. Like a child waiting for iftar. There's this happiness there. So when Rasulullah arrived in Medina, every face was shining with a smile because of the arrival of the Prophet of Allah. And he says, the saddest day in Medina was the day the prophet left us. (coughs) Everyone's heart was broken. Because everyone lost everything. That's how they felt. Now in this moment, there were those who loved him and had given their life to him. He was a brother, father, friend, companion, teacher, mentor, general, coach. Everything for them. Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, for example. Their relationship was special. Yesterday at our masjid, I spoke about the relationship of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, and the Prophet wasallam. But due to time restrictions, there were a few things I wasn't able to say. I'll share one point with you guys here. One thing that I thought to myself once, was that the Prophet wasallam grew up without a father. Correct? Yes or No. He grew up without a father. He also grew up without a mother. Is that true? And then he also grew up without a brother, siblings. Is that true? Wallahu alam. Where Allah took those people away, instead he gave the Prophet of Allah, Abu Bakr. That sometimes he was a father of the Prophet he gave all of his wealth to the Prophet. Sometime he was the mother of the Prophet Sallallahu in the sense that if, for those of you who know the riwayah of Hijrah Abu Bakr an held the Prophet in his lap as Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was sleeping there just looking at his beautiful face Not even feeling the pain of poison surging through his body Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab said, I'm willing to trade my entire life for those nights That the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's mi'raj was seeing Allah, Abu Bakr got mi'raj for three nights. It was just him and the Prophet of Allah. These are not Abu Bakr, these are not Ummar's words, these are my words. That he had the opportunity to have mi'raj, just, just ascension, solitude, aloneness with Rasulullah for three nights. And then sometimes he's a brother, sometimes he's a friend, at times he's a supporter. The emotions that Abu Bakr صديق, عنه, must have felt when wasallam passed away. I don't have words to even begin to describe them. But what I will say is that Imam Jalaluddin Siyuti in his al Khulafa writes, a narration from Ibn Umar Someone asked Ibn Umar Abdullah bin Umar that how did Abu Bakr pass away? Because Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq unlike the other three Khulafa, he passed away of natural means. Umar was stabbed Uthman was also killed and Ali was also martyred. Their cause of death was very clear. For Abu Bakr siddiq he was a healthy person, woke up one morning, took a shower, caught a cold, few days later, passed away. Wallahu Alam, what happened? So it was you know, something that they weren't sure of. So someone asked Ibn Umar that what caused the death of, Allah, of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. So his response was, Abu Bakr's death was caused by the death of the Prophet of Allah. He was only able to hold out so long. The grief consumed him. He couldn't stop thinking about him. We would see him walking around quietly in Medina, and everyone knew what he was thinking of. Imam rahimahullah, also narrates a riwayah that one time, Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu an, saw Abu Bakr walking in the streets quietly. When he was to miss the Prophet of Allah, he'd go for a walk. Maybe the street's reminded of him. So Amr radiallahu an asked Sayyidina Abu Bakr that, what are you thinking about? So Abu Bakr Sadik radiallahu an said, the same thing you're thinking about. tarjuma, dil se nikle I don't have words to speak anymore, so let my tears translate what I'm feeling. nikle sada, There's an echo emerging from my heart. man kuja, Wherever you are, I'll be there too. We'll be together. But when the Prophet passed away, Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq took all the emotion he was experiencing and put it aside because he knew it was time for him to be a warrior that no one in history will ever match up to. And he stood in front of the companions and he said, اَيُّهَا النَّاسِ مَنْ كَانَ يَعْبُدُ مُحَمَّدًا فَإِنَّهُ That whoever worshiped Muhammad let him know that he has left the dunya. Every love must be balanced in the scale of justice. He heard the Prophet saying, don't exaggerate your love for me like the, Yahud, like the Nasara did for Isa. He heard the Prophet saying, Do not turn my grave into a place of worship. So he stands up and announces what needs to be said to these hearts that are hurting. اللَّهَ اللَّهَ and whoever worshipped Allah. Let them know that Allah is living and He shall never die. We will continue. We will continue to march forward. We will repair and grow as an ummah. And every day of our life, we will testify to His love, not just through emotions that are tucked away in our hearts, but rather through actions that will be studied until the end of times. We are the Sahaba. We will show the ummah how to love the Prophet of Allah. What we do, will be the standard of sharia. Because we will show our love of the Prophet not just through words, but through our actions. So now the whole uh, structure of hadith comes into existence. The whole body of hadith is what? It's a memoir. Every Sahabi sharing their moment with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam sallallahu alaihi wasallam Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wa fi ghazbati yaf'alu kada kada this became the whole tradition that i saw the prophet of allah praying like this and if you notice most of what the companions spoke of was what they saw rasulullah sallallahu do and their understanding of what love for the prophet of allah meant was so crystal clear that the jurists had no second thought in deducing legal rulings from their actions because they knew that the Sahaba understood what love was and their love was unquestionable and therefore their actions were the actions of Rasulullah This is love. That's love right there. It's about taking those emotions and ta- channeling them into something meaningful. So the end of this gathering as it approaches, our hearts also begin to ache Because we realize that outside of these walls this doesn't exist. But what do you do? What you do is you commit. You commit to learning who he was because obedience to the Prophet of Allah cannot be accomplished in a meaningful spiritually uplifting way until you know who he is. Know him. You can know him through studying him, reading his biography, Seeing what the poets wrote about him. That there is no limits to the virtue of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That someone can actually even speak of. Poets were lost. Where do we start? Where do we end? And every poet that tried to talk about his beauty and character, ultimately, they accepted defeat. Because how can you praise the one who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself, samawati wal praised with his own words? How do you praise someone who Allah has praised? Your words can never match the words of Allah. Therefore, the... Arabic slash Persian poem. It's a famous one. It's a combination of two languages. The first half is in Arabic. The poet said, Ya al jamali wa ya al Bashar. O possessor of beauty, leader of mankind, from your enlightened face the moon takes beauty. Layunkin al thana. It is impossible to praise you, the way it is deserving to be praised, the way you are deserving to be praised. So, then the last line is in Persian, that after Allah is your rank, we'll keep it short and simple. There's nothing left to say. So as you walk out of this gathering, commit yourself to the sunnah of Rasulullah wasallam. Pray like him, live like him, talk like him. Bring his character into your life. You won't need to teach your children love for the Prophet of Allah if they see the sunnah of the Prophet of Allah in you. If they see you love him. If they see you spend time sending salawat upon him. If they see you respecting his sunnah. You don't put the hat on the ground. This is the sunnah of Rasulullah We don't do that. We can lie ourselves on the ground but we never disrespect anything connected to the Prophet of Allah but You don't put the hadith book on the ground These are the words of Rasulullah These words are attached to our heart, they are more valuable than our entire existence A hundred and thousands of Mees can come and go and be thrown into a garbage dispenser Before one hadith of Rasulullah is disrespected That lesson must be taught from a young age and we will need to embody that ourselves. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq. Amen. Connect, learn about him. You know, I think that if I didn't mention this last part, uh, we probably would, there would be a gap in our conversation. Alhamdulillah Qalam, we have so many resources available to learn about the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi For those of you that are familiar with the Qalam podcast, Shaykh Abdul Nasr has done a beautiful series um, it's called the Seera Podcast, I believe. I think that's the actual name. The Seera Podcast. A hundred plus lectures just on the biography of Rasulullah I highly encourage listening to that. And if you've already listened to it, listen to it again. Secondly, Alhamdulillah, some years back I had the opportunity of teaching the Arba'een of Imam Nawawi. It's a hadith collection. The recordings of that are also available on the podcast. It's a good opportunity to connect with the words of Rasulullah The teachings of Nabi And many of the other instructors have resources available that you can benefit from May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put Barakah in our knowledge in this gathering And make it a means of our salvation in the hereafter May action come into our life May our actions always speak louder than our words and our emotions uh, we're going to, inshallah, wait for Sheikh Mikhail. He'll share some closing remarks and then uh, end today's gathering with a dua as well. So please stay seated and wait for him.
3: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Alhamdulillahirabbil <laughs> alamin was <laughs> salatu was salam <laughs> ala <laughs> sayyidina wa Nabiina wa mawlana <laughs> Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam So I'm supposed to um, say some closing remarks and end us with a dua And I'm not going to be long I know we've been here for many hours listening to Different things about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And when I was thinking about closing remarks, um, we talked a lot about love today. We talked a lot about love. And love for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And how the Sahaba loved the Prophet. How important it is to love the Prophet. We talked so much about love. And in this month, We see a lot of people expressing that love. And we see scholars from throughout our history have written entire poems expressing their love for the Prophet I mean, Hassan bin Thabit himself wrote poems expressing love. And I'm not going to give a talk. I'm going to share with you an expression of my love for the Prophet And I'm actually really nervous right now to share this with you because I'm letting you see into my heart for a moment. But maybe through that, your heart will open too, and you will be able to express your love for our beloved Prophet So as I said, in the past and even till today, people would write poems where they wrote about his love. Now, I could have dropped some bars on y'all.
2: <laughs>
3: I think I could have. I could have. But I chose a different mode or method of expression, which I've only heard one other scholar do before, whose name is Sheikh Ban Bhuti of Syria, uh, Syria, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. I wrote a letter to the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And I know some of the shayukh in here about to give me some looks. They're already texting in the WhatsApp group. (laughs) But I'm gonna put myself out there right now. And I wrote this letter, as I said, as an expression of love. If you like it, you like it. If you don't like it, you don't like it. It is what it is. But when someone loves another person, they find, as Sheikh Abdurahman Murphy said, love languages. We all communicate different how we love. Um, And this is just one way that I wanted to communicate my love. It's not long, but it's a letter that is to my prophet, Muhammad I'll read this letter. I can't look up, because I already see people looking at me, some of my peers. (laughs) So I'm just going to read this letter, okay? To my Prophet Muhammad, may the the peace of Allah be with you forever, dear Prophet of Allah. How shy I am to write this, knowing my deeds make my claims of love seem insincere. But I was told you said that if we don't show gratitude to people for what they have done, then we haven't showed gratitude to Allah. So I write to say thank you, or better yet, Jazakallah, for the ways that you have taught us. You see, I didn't have a father to teach me how to carry myself in a manner that was pleasing to Allah. But I was told that you said you are like a father to us, you teach us. So thank you, Jazakallah khair, for the example that you set, for the trail you walked before us, for the noor you brought into our lives. O Prophet of Allah, I often wonder what it would have been like to see you walk, walking through the streets of the city that was filled with light the day you arrived. Your walk was brisk but controlled, humbled but dignified at the same time. But then I think about the time you ran down the mountain, scared and confused, running to our mother, begging her to cover you as your heart raced and you trembled and you shook. I can just see the panic in your eyes as you realize that you're the chosen one of Allah. I was told that one day in Mecca, while you prayed face down, prostrating before Allah, they dragged the intestines of a camel and they threw them on your back. You didn't even move, I'm told, until your young daughter came and pulled it off. My heart broke when I heard what you said to her to comfort her. Don't worry, your father will be okay, you said as she cried. My heart was filled with anger and pain when I heard how the people of have treated you. You, the beloved of Allah, stoned? You, the beloved of Allah, mocked? You, the beloved of Allah, left with no one to welcome him? They told me that the day ended with Adas, the slave, becoming Muslim, because when he brought you some grapes, you reached for them saying, Bismillah. That made it a little easier to handle that day for me. I get chills when I think of the day you stood your ground as arrows flew your way not frightened, not fleeing in the Valley of Hunain, You kept moving forward saying, I am a prophet, this is not a lie? But to be honest, O Prophet of Allah, I'm worried. You see, my deeds are not that good. Will I get to see you on that day? me amongst all those others who followed your example better than me? Will I get to see you? In a few weeks, I'm coming to your city to say salam to you and glance upon the faces shining with light in your city. I hope and pray I get to see that day. I have taken too much of your time already in this letter. I have one request when I am crossing the bridge above hell and you are cheering me on. selim, selim, Ya Rab, sallim Never mind my sins that you will notice. They aren't a true reflection of my love. O oh, Prophet of Allah, I pray to Allah that he grant you the best of rewards in the highest position. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention how much it hurts every time I read about the day you laid down your head, resting on our mother's chest as you transitioned from this world returning home. You laid there, tired, having completed your responsibility. The angels asked if you were ready to go home. And in that moment, you chose Allah saying, take me to the highest companion. They cried so much, Ya Rasulullah, when you left. Oh, beloved of Allah, they cried so much. You should have seen Umar the way he was completely confused. You should have seen Ali, he couldn't even talk. You should have seen everyone in a panic when you left and how dark Medina became the moment you left. You should have seen what it was like. They cry and we today cry the same way. So, O Prophet of Allah, when you see me pass that bridge and you see me on that bridge in my sins, know that those sins are not a true representation of my love that I have for you. May the peace of Allah be upon you today and forever. Ya Rasulullah, your follower, Mikael. Let's make a dua. Allahumma. اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله وإليك يرجع الأمر كله the one اللهم لك الحمد حتى ترضى ولك الحمد alhamdu one ولك الحمد بعد الرضا اللهم لا whos the عليك أنت the أثنيت على نفسك اللهم whos على ala محمد اللهم على محمد Allahumma ba'arik ala Sayyidina Muhammad Jazallahumma anna Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam maa huwa ahlahu Allahumma laka alhamdu ya arhamur rahimeen Allahumma salli wa sallim anim annam ala Sayyidina wa Nabiina wa Mawlana Muhammad Rabbana la tuzik kulubana ba'da idh hadaytana wa hablana min ladun ka rahma Allahumma inna nas'aluka ridaaka wal jannah Allahumma, ya Allah, we ask you for your pleasure, ya Allah. We ask you to be pleased with us and forgive us of our shortcomings, ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask you to give our beloved Prophet Muhammad, the best of rewards in this dunya and the akhirah, ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask you to give him the best of the rewards in this dunya and the akhirah, ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask you to resurrect us, ya Allah, despite our sins close to him on the day of judgment. Ya Allah, make us of those people who drink from his hawdi kawthir, ya Allah. Ya Allah, make us of those people who are not pushed away, but welcomed by the Prophet at his Hawda Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask you to forgive our sins, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we love the way of your Prophet, Ya Allah. We love his way, Ya Allah. We love his way. We love every aspect of it, Ya Allah. Radheena bika, Ya Allah. Radheena bi Muhammad. Radheena bil Islam. Ya Allah, we are pleased with you as our Lord. We are pleased with Muhammad as our Prophet. And we are pleased with Islam, Ya Allah. Our sins, Ya Allah, are not a representation of our love, Ya Allah. We love you, Ya Allah, and we love the way of your Prophet, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, give us istiqamah on his way. Ya Allah, give us steadfastness on his way, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, take the love of everything else out of our heart. If it gets in the way of our love of him and you, Ya Allah, we ask you to bless us, Ya Allah, with a love of Allah, with a love of you and a love of the Prophet, Ya Allah, and a love of those deeds that will gain your love. Ya Allah, we are sinners and we don't even deserve to know who he is, but it is your blessing that we even know who Muhammad is. We thank you, Ya Allah. We thank you, Ya Allah. We thank you so much, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, laka alhamdu wa lakal Laka alhamdu wa laka shukr ya rahimin. Ya Allah, forgive us. Ya Allah, forgive our parents. forgive our parents. Ya Allah, forgive our parents. Ya Allah, parents, ya Allah. and guide them. Ya Allah, guide them. Ya Allah. Place in their hearts, too, a love for your Prophet, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, have mercy on our parents, Ya Allah, the way they had mercy on us when we were young, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, guide our children, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, guide our children, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, Allah, give them a love for the Qur'an. (laughs) Give them a love for the Qur'an, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, give our children a love of your Habib, Muhammad Wasallam. Let them walk in the light of his sunnah, Ya Allah. Let them love it more than they love anything else, Ya Arhamur Raheem. Ya Allah, we ask you to bless our teachers who have taught us anything, Ya Allah. Who have taught us how to know you, how to love you, how to follow your Prophet's way. Bless all of our teachers, Ya Allah. We are forever indebted to them and the only way we can pay them back is by begging you to reward them, Ya Allah. Have mercy upon them and forgive their sins, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask you to guide our community, Ya Allah. We ask you to soften our hearts, Ya Allah. Give us eyes that cry in your remembrance. Give us hearts that are soft, Ya Allah. And give us actions that are accepted, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we thank you for everything that you have given us. Ya Allah, we promise not to take it for granted, and we promise to show gratitude, Ya Allah. We love you for your blessings, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we are so grateful, Ya Allah, for all that you have given us. Ya Allah, you have the most beautiful names, Ya Allah. We call you by these names, Ya Ar-Rahman, Ya Rahim, Ya Kareem, Ya Afu. Ya Allah, Innaka Afooan Kareem, Tuhibbul Afwa, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, you love to forgive and you are generous. Forgive us, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, in this room, there are so many hearts with so many desires and needs. Our hearts are weighed down. Ya Allah, every heart in this room is open to you in this moment. The angels are surrounding us, saying ameen to what we are saying. Ya Allah, Ya Allah, whatever we are asking for, Ya Allah, we ask you to give us those things, Ya Allah, alleviate our pains, our suffering, economic, emotional, physical, Ya Allah, those who are suffering, alleviate them, Ya Allah, those who need closeness, Ya Allah, give them closeness and companionship, those who are lost, guide them, Ya Allah, those who are lost, guide us, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, accept all of our righteous deeds, forgive our sins, Ya Allah. And accept this gathering, Ya Allah. Make this gathering a means, Ya Allah. For the forgiveness of our sins, Ya Allah. And by the time we let our hands down, we ask of you, we beg of you. Ya Allah, we, we implore you, Ya Allah, please forgive our sins and give us a love for this deen and a love for your Prophet. Subhanahu Rabbika rabbil izzati Amma Yasifun. Wasalamun <laughs> ala Al mursalin Alhamdulillah, There are many places you could have spent your Sunday. Qalam is grateful. We are humbled and honored that you would spend your night with us, remembering our beloved Mustafa, the Chosen One of Allah. May Allah accept this night from us all, inshallah ta'ala. And uh, thank you for listening to my
0: short... Letter,
3: inshallah. Jazakallah
0: <laughs>
3: Okay, so this is one night of learning. The journey of the believer for learning the seerah is a lifelong thing. Institute, you guys know, we got y'all's back. There are many opportunities to study and learn more of the seerah. One of the best resources is Sheikh Abdul Nasser's podcast, highly recommend. We also have the Sira conference that happens yearly. My recommendation is to every year you should finish the Sira one time, every year. Sira doesn't change, but you change. And the Sira will hit you different every time you study it. So Qalam has many opportunities for you. Uh, please visit those things to learn more about the Sira, inshallah. Jazakallah khair salamu alaykum.